Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Podcast Daily. I am Jeremy Birmingham. That's Bill Landis. Today, it's Tuesday. We're talking about recruiting, I guess, to start the show, Bill, because (laughs) it is something that people are constantly in need of more information about. And in what has become an incredibly tumultuous time to be an Ohio State recruiting fan, I guess, if there's such a thing, uh, it, it, it feels important to try and shed some light on everything that's really occurred in the last few weeks. And really where Ohio State is moving forward because right now the podcast daily is is talking about the the news of the day. I feel like it is the news of the day. It's actually been the news of the last four days because we've had this constant back and forth slash drama slash I don't even know what you want to call it around Dejon Johnson, Ohio State's former cornerback commitment who a lot of people thought was going to recommit to Ohio State this weekend and didn't. As a non-like recruiting um guy you know i'm a recruiting guy you're a non-recruiting guy you sit and you watch it and you hear about all this stuff on the periphery but what do you make of the insanity around just college football recruiting right now <laughs> what do i make of it uh yeah i mean i'm just I, curious I, yeah, about like make... give me your first word let's let's play word association right like what yeah, is the well, word you, that comes to mind you said it insanity um this particular cycle for Ohio State seems very odd in, in all my years covering it. You're right. You know, I, I've I've never quite had my finger on the pulse of it in, in the way that you do, but certainly I've I've been aware of, of the comings and goings Ohio State has put together its class. And this one, especially on the defensive side, is is about as strange as it gets. And, and on one hand, I get it because as we've talked about before, and, and you and Austin have talked about before. I think Ohio State still needs to to show prospects what this defense is going to look like once it gets on the field, and I think that's a hard sell right now. It's hard for players to kind of wrap their arms around that. And in the meantime, they can go to a place like Alabama, where where the proof is in the pudding. Uh, but but it feels like there's more there's more to it than that. It, it feels like even with that, it's it still couldn't it still shouldn't feel quite as strange as as it feels at the moment. And the Dijon Johnson stuff is just kind of the the icing on the cake with that. It's it's just very odd to me that. You know, a player of that caliber who who seemingly you know was all Buckeye at the time he committed earlier in the spring, kind of, kind of surprisingly, I think to some people, yeah. um, would would back away from that commitment. And then there's just sort of conjecture out there of of sort of will they, won't they, kind of get back together. And it's just it's very dramatic. I think I think it's part of the reason why people love recruiting. But if you're an Ohio State fan at the moment, I think it just leaves you with a lot of uncertainty. I think it's sort of this perfect storm of BS right now when you have. The the coaching changes, and you have three new full time coaches on the on the defensive side of the ball. You have whether folks like it or not, nonstop rumor mongering about Larry Johnson and his future, and how long he sticks around as a full time assistant, how long he's diving into this everyday recruiting stuff. Then you have name, image, and likeness, and all of the changes that are coming with it. And this summer, especially as the collective. Um, regimes have taken over recruiting essentially for a lot of uh, schools and in many ways and offering money straight up to kids and like it's changed everything at once and I'm telling you what it feels like to me is you sort of look at Ohio State and they're they're trying super hard to be uh, ahead of uh, or or above the line I guess is the the term we would use in old business parlance right like you want to be above the line because below the line is where things are happening that shouldn't happen and where you're doing things illegally or you're unethically uh, it's hard to stay above the line right now because there is no line and that is yep. defined by any one person and or one entity so how do you decide 
where the line is. And is it just a matter of individual coaching staffs saying, hey, this is what we're comfortable with. This is what we're going to do because we believe eventually there will be this line that's installed, but right now there's not. So we need to play above the the imaginary line. I mean, it's just sort of weird. And you can see it on the faces of of, of the people around the Ohio State program that they're not, I don't want to say shook by it, or they're not like um, upset by it. But they're certainly at a loss for exactly what they should do or what they shouldn't do right now. Yeah, I feel like Ohio State, to its own detriment, sometimes sort of tries to be everything to everyone, and and it feels to me at the moment like they need to pick a lane, and and, and I suppose they have, but I don't I don't think you can sort of operate in the like quote unquote like Big Ten gentlemen's agreement kind of way, and then also expect to compete with the teams you know, in the SEC, who are you're trying to beat on the field to win national championships, because that's still what Ohio State expects. And and I guess they, they've been able to find ways to to be that in the past without maybe, for lack of a better term, dirtying their hands, that maybe the, the way they're trying to avoid at the moment. But with the way that recruiting is right now, I, I just don't know if you can operate that way or if you can operate that way and expect to be what, what Ohio State has always sort of been. Now, I, I say that, and I don't want it to come off as like their classes in shambles. It's not. It's still a very good recruiting right. class. It's still the number two ranked class in the country. Right. right, right. But you lose a player here, you lose a player there, especially you lose them here or there to, to those kind of programs that we're talking about that you're competing against. And then you have to ask yourself, well, is this the best way of doing business and do we need the change? And I, I don't know if within the walls of the Woody that they're they're having those conversations, but I feel like I would be if I were in there. Yeah, it's got, what, 19 commitments, but I think only seven are on defense. And if you look at that seven, you have four, you know, three safeties, three cornerbacks, um, and then, oh, I'm sorry, there's two defensive linemen, so my my numbers might be off here by one. But you have Jason Moore, who, who's a big-time player from Maryland, Buckeyes really love. But there's been a lot of discussion in the last few weeks, and I, I wanted to branch down this road because I think that this is where – a lot of the really interesting things that have started to happen based on just social media, Twitter spaces, that kind of stuff. I mean, Desmond uh, um, Umeo Zulu is his name. Who uh, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that correctly or not, but another Maryland defensive end who, you know, a lot of people in the recruiting industry had sort of crystal balled or predicted to go to Ohio State. And we hear rumors and you see this stuff, oh, oh this kid was in a Twitter space talking about the Ohio State recruiting class or or the official visit weekend that he was on. And A, like, fine, there's nothing wrong with a kid getting onto a, a social media chat and talking about his experience. Uh, there is a lot of things wrong with grown men trying to quote him and then trying to tell the story for him, which ends up turning into this big thing uh, for Desmond Umeozulu and and and. and it's weird because this kid was just trying to give people some insight into the process as he saw it. But because the fandom of folks gets a little bit in the way of objectivity or fairness or whatever, like you always end up taking a side, whether you like it or not, there is no way that um, fans who are using Twitter accounts to recruit players, which it shouldn't happen, but we all know it does. I mean, it's out there. Mm-hmm. Like, it's such a weird world we're in right now because then you see this kid who doesn't talk to the media much, doesn't get involved much, but he gets in the Twitter space and talks about this situation. And then it puts him in a negative situation with Ohio State because the Buckeyes have to look at it and go, what? Are we sure this is the type of prospect we want? Someone who's going to 
bad mouth. I don't even know that he's bad mouthing the, the program, but like, it's just such a weird, weird thing. When you couple that happening with what's going on with the John Johnson, like, it just feels like there's so much chaos right now that we haven't seen before. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure how if you're in the if you're in the shoes of a coach, kind of how you wrap your mind around all of it. And I, I don't I'm not trying to come off as like a you know begrudging kind of old dude because I'm not, you know I, feel, I, I fancy myself to be fairly young. You know what I mean? You yeah, know, but you still like, want people to get off your lawn. It's yeah, please get off. Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, but the. My lawn looks great. About, right we, <laughs> yeah, I'm sure it does. If people heard the story you told uh, after, yeah. after practice on Monday, I'm sure they think your lawn's looking great. Um, I uh, I don't know how coaches kind of wrap their mind around all of this. I have a hard time doing it myself. There the the number of people that sort of just have like access and influence the prospects at the moment just seems like it would make the job of the coaching staffs incredibly difficult and. I don't know how they sort through that, how you determine, you know, what's important and what's not for these kids. I think the kids have a hard time doing it too. So it just kind of created this jumbled mess. I, I think there are benefits for the, for the athletes. You know, I'm, I'm glad that these guys can make money and I'm glad they have sort of, you know, more of a platform maybe than they've had, they had 10 years ago, but there's pitfalls that come with that too. And, and I think everyone's just trying to kind of work their way through it and figure out the best course of action in this new world. Yeah, it's it as you the word you said there was correct. It's just access, but it's not access necessarily for the player. It's to the player, mm-hmm. and there are a lot of people on social media, fans who um, may have their own opinion about the way something is happening inside of the the recruiting program at Ohio State, or an opinion about a coach, or a, that then has access to tell these kids, "Oh, this is what's happening," and because these fans. Um, you know, essentially are acting as a de facto extension of, of what that player believes Ohio State is or, you know, any other school, I guess. I mean, we're obviously talking about Ohio State specifically, but I think it just lends to this really confused line of communication. That yeah. More often than not, coaches are trying to basically say, guys, this isn't real. This isn't real. This isn't really happening. This is what this actually meant. Um, and the the social media fan side is saying, no, 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 that's not what they, and, and unbelievably right now, it seems like a lot of these young players are more comfortable talking to anonymous Twitter accounts than they are to, to actual <laughs> media members because, and I don't know if that's because of the crystal ball and people don't want to have their things ruined, but there is this really weird line that recruits need to walk right now because every single thing that you say to someone on social media has the potential to blow up in your face and it doesn't even matter. And again, this, I, I want to talk specifically about the Desmond Umeazolu point because he, he didn't say anything really insightful. He just shouldn't be talking about that situation with random people uh, on a internet social media forum where it can be completely taken out of context and misconstrued. And it's like, I don't even really blame the, the, the folks who are trying to translate it. Uh, I don't blame the kid either. I just, it's such a weird thing where I think that people blurred the lane of, of who belongs where. Yeah. There's a lot of mixed messaging. I mean, from player players to coaches from media to players, like I, I, I'm sure you and I find ourselves in positions sometimes where we're trying to figure out what's what. So 
Um, I, I mean, I don't, I don't have a solution to it. I have, I have no idea. I, part of me just feels like it's, it's that line's going to become more and more blurred. It's pretty easy, for, I think, for anybody to get on social media and sort of give the impression that they are in a position of influence for a particular program, and then maybe a player starts to think a certain type of way about that program because of that. Like, I can, I can slap a block on my Twitter yeah. account and have somebody believe that pretty, pretty easily. I think. Um, so, but it's, it's like, also weird, it's, Bill, because it's also weird. I don't mean to cut you off, but it's also weird because what you see. Coaches understand that these social media accounts do curry interest or favor or or attention for the players, and so you'll see even coaches retweeting or or um, mm-hmm. you know sending out love to to random accounts, and that in some way validates that account and, and um, promotes this idea that they are in hoots or or working together and. Again, I don't know if it's even a bad thing. I just think that it's such a unique time and you throw that layer on top of everything else. And it's like, how do you know anymore if you're just a, a recruit who isn't like got your thumb really on the pulse of a program? How do you have any idea what's real? And what's not? I mean, yeah, I have no idea. I don't know. I, I couldn't. I, I have an incredibly difficult time doing it as, as an adult. I, I can't imagine trying to, to, to figure it out as a 17, 18 year old. Um, it does feel like. On some level, like a, a necessary evil might not be the right word because I, I don't want mean it to sound sort of sort of that bad. But you're right. There's there is an importance to it. I think in, in in the sense that it can create awareness for a player and platforms for a player, and, and I think that's important for them too. But like anything, you know, there's 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 good and bad actors out there, and trying to figure out who's who is really difficult. It's so complicated. The world is right now for 17 year olds on every level, and when you throw in college football futures and name image and likeness millions of dollars and all the other things you have dozens of coaching staffs around the country thousands of fans on twitter hundreds of media members trying to get at you every minute of the day and trying to get your insight and your information it becomes almost impossible to to stick take a step back and think what the, the life of these kids is like when you talk about someone like dejon johnson like this is a a 17 year old kid in florida trying to figure out the rest of his life and I think it's almost impossible when you have so much noise coming from so many different directions to make any decision, let alone the right one. I mean, it's if you have one or two or three people in your life who are using your potential earning and your potential future to buoy themselves up, everything gets muddled. And I just think that it, it it's it's done such a disservice to so many of these young people. Um, and now by proxy it's made the job of college football coaches around the country that much harder. There's no sympathy. They're getting paid millions of dollars for this. They should be able to figure it out, but it does lead to some interesting things. And, you know, I know that right now the the talk all weekend is is Dejon Johnson. Is he going to get back in? Is he going to not? I I think everybody wants to have their cake and eat it too in this situation. And that's no matter how much the game has changed, no matter how much recruiting has changed, that's not the way it works. You still have to make decisions, and you have to own them. And college coaches, especially right now, we're three weeks away from the college football season started. No one's in the mood for games. No one's in the mood yeah, to right. play any recruiting games. If you're not in, you're out. And so I think that's sort of where it's at. I have a question about that. So let's I, – I guess let's just assume for the moment that that reconciliation or that reconnection with Dejon John Johnson is not going to happen. Then what does Ohio State do? Because they have three corners in the class. I mean, you know, that's a lot. I think they need more, especially when you look at the fact they only have six on the roster. Their 19 and 20 recruiting classes don't have a cornerback on the current roster. Um, what happens from here if if the Dijon Johnson thing does not work out? 
I think the transfer portals changed everything in the way you handle this stuff, right? They are not going, and this is something that's never changed in Ohio State. So name, image, and likeness, transfer portal, all the other stuff. Ohio State's not making offers to players that they don't believe can play at Ohio State, period. So if there's a guy out there that that blows up this this offseason or this this upcoming senior season that maybe requires Ohio State to take a deeper look at, say, hey, maybe we need to find a new guy, then they'll do that, I think. But from conversations I've had with people, it seems like they're content with three in the class if that's the way it shakes out. But they're never going to shut the door completely on, on top-ranked players around the country. If there's one of those you know, dudes out there that really says, Hey, you know, uh, if Cormani McLean or someone like that, the number one ranked corner in the country decides that Ohio State's something he really wants to take a look at, they're going to let him, uh, but they're not going to go out there and, and, and go fishing. They're going to make sure that they're waiting for the, for the big fish and, uh, put themselves in a position where if they need to, at this juncture, you know, or you can conceive heading into next season and hate to like wipe away the 2022 year already, but, (laughs) You know, heading into 2023, that you have a group that consists of Jordan Hancock, J.K. Johnson, and Denzel Burke as your primary three. So you can sort of play from there. Uh, and, and if you get some development out of Jerry Brown that you that we've already seen him, mean, he was the silver bullet of the day on second day of practice. I mean, those are the little things where you go, oh, that, that's helpful. And then you do have this class of 2023 um, out there. One guy that, I mean, if I'm going to just mention names, I think the one name that I would look at is Cameron Calhoun uh, down in Cincinnati, Winton Woods, a teammate of Jermaine Matthews. Was it to commit. That's a player that is really long, really athletic, and, and camped and did a very nice job camping at Ohio State the same day Jermaine Matthews did. So that's one name I guess I would look for if the Buckeyes felt like they could make a, a splash in the state, then I, I could see that. But overall, I think they'd stick with what they have. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I it's not you look at the like we go out there at practice and you watch the corners working. You think to yourself, man, like there there are not very many guys at this position. Yeah. But then when you take a step Jake Seibert's out well, there though. That's right, Jake Seibert. Well, the case in point, the kicker is, is working with the cornerbacks. Um, but everyone besides Cam Brown has eligibility beyond this year. I think they're it's not super dire straits. I don't think they need to get desperate. They have three really good corners in the class too, with Kay and Lee, Jermaine Matthews, and Calvin Simpson Hunt. So uh, I think they're in okay yeah. shape, even if losing Dijon stings. I think Calvin Simpson Hunt is a player that has a is we don't talk about much in, in, in the media around Ohio State just because he he handled his recruitment in such a way that it didn't really lend to that. Um, but that is a super super athletic high ceiling kid that could be the, one of the steals of this class. So you know, let's put the recruiting chat to bed. Tuesday, it's August 9th. We're gonna be back out at the Woody Hayes Athletic Center this morning, talking with Jim Knowles uh, and the linebackers now. When I say talking with the linebackers, <laughs> I mean talking at the linebackers and hoping that they say something in return. This is not the most verbose group of players on the team. <laughs> it is not. I'm not I'm not expecting a whole bunch of insight from guys like Tommy Eichenberg and, and Steel Chambers. Uh, we'll see if, if we get to talk with C.J. Hicks and, and Gabe Powers. I think that could be a little bit enlightening just to kind of get to know those guys a little better. But the, uh, the the draw here is Jim Knowles certainly to get to get a feel for maybe what what direction this defense is heading. Luke Luke Whipler on Monday was saying some interesting things about how Jim Knowles continues to to mix up his fronts in practice, which Luke said is a benefit to the offense too. But I think it's also exciting to to hear about Ohio State's defense. So you know I'm not expecting Jim Knowles to lay out his game plan for Notre Dame on September 3rd when we talk to him on on Tuesday. But I am hopeful to gain a little more insight on just which direction this defense is headed in. 
Yeah, it's kind of funny because Jim Knowles defense, as we know, is a safety driven defense. That's right. Um, but we've also only talked about the Jack slash Leo position mm-hmm. in the defensive line. But yet Jim Knowles coaches the linebackers, which are the group that doesn't talk and nobody talks about. So, um, you know, I think that we'll hear more conversation around other positions on Tuesday than we will the actual linebackers because, as we said on Sunday night, it seems pretty concrete right now that Tommy Eichenberg and Steel Chambers are locked in as you're, as you're starting two with whatever they do with the other positions sort of affecting how that plays out. But we know we're not going to hear much in the way of communication and conversation from Tommy and Steele. <laughs> Steele's, a, Steele, Steele's a great guy to, to talk to. He's extremely smart. Tommy's really bright. He just does not like to talk to the media and just wants you can see it that he's physically wants to like hit people all the <laughs> jump time. Over, yeah, jump over the table and just yeah. kind of spear you. Yeah, I get yeah. Yeah, so we'll see if we make it out of out of uh <laughs> this you know Tuesday morning's uh media availability without any injuries. We're gonna hope to. Um, but we'll have a lot more to talk about on Tuesday uh with Bill Landis and myself, Jeremy Birmingham, Austin Ward will join us for that as well. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening, folks. This has been the Podcast Daily. We'll catch you next time.